To film fairies i'm the bitch who can't pick a fucking hobby bray <laughs> what's my toxic trait come on you come on what is it you know um i'm an alcoholic i was gonna say <laughs> you're the one that's always down to drink <laughs> and i'm the bitch casey that can't do any social interactions without alcohol in my system <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing Today, we'll be talking about the film Cloud Atlas, starring Halle Berry and Tom Hanks. And this film is really interesting and different because it follows six different stories of different time periods, and all of them have a couple little threads connecting each one. Okay, the first story starts with, in the Pacific Islands in 1849, we start on a ship in the ocean, and it's a slave ship, and the character is Adam Ewing. He is working, he's a lawyer working for his father-in-law, who is a slave trader. And the second story is in Cambridge, 1936, following the character Robert Frobisher. He's a young man who's interested in having a musical career. The third story is in San Francisco, 1973, and it follows the character Louisa Ray. She is a journalist working for a magazine, and her father was also a journalist, and she f is kind of following in his footsteps. Our fourth story is in London in 2012, following the character Timothy Cavendish. He's a publisher with a kind of whimsical type of personality. Our next story is in Neo Soul in the year 2144, and it follows the character Somni, and she is a waitress at a cafe. The next story is in Big Isle, year 104 after the fall of humanity, following the character Zachary, who lives in a tribe, and they live on an island, and there's another tribe called the Kona tribe who are cannibals. And let's go back to, let's start discussing at the first story, Casey. So, in the Pacific Islands, 1849, Adam Ewing. In 1963, that story was just, like, that time period, which is crazy to me, because, like... 1936? <clears throat> <laughs> um, Casey, also, I'm the one that's extremely dyslexic, so... <laughs> Um, 1963, yeah. 1936! <laughs> <laughs> 1936, okay. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Robert Frobisher. Oh, another thing, you'll notice that Bray will, like, have all their fucking names memorized. I will not. I will be calling them Halle Berry and Tom Hanks. That's totally fine. <laughs> That's, like, if you guys listen to our last one, you'll see that Bray, like, knows all the characters. I'm like, Bray, what's their name again? So I just, that's too much for me. I knew the characters in the last one, and you knew the scenes, because I was like, wait, what happened before this? What yeah. happened after that? I can't, I can't comprehend all the names, especially in this movie, because it's like, if you have not seen this movie yet, it's like, it's a little hard to follow, because there's so many characters jumping around, back and forth, but it's not only like, okay, so there's six different timelines. It doesn't follow six different timelines. It's like hopping from one to the other to the other, back and forth. So it's like a movie that you like, cannot be on your phone for. Yeah, you have to watch this movie at least two times. Like, 
just watching it one time, I don't think you'll be able to get the full experience. I've watched this movie like four times, and just watching it for the fourth time, I was like, oh my god, I didn't even notice that last time. Mm-hmm. Like, at all. Like, yeah. There was like weird shit that I just picked up on, and I'm like, like, the necklace, was it? Yeah. So, I'll just jog your memory a little bit for, in the Adam Ewing story, in the Pacific Islands, in the beginning, he pretty much, like, where the story, where it really starts to hook you is when his father-in-law is kind of showing him, like, the slaves that, like, it's like a tribe. I guess that they're picking them up from their origin country, Mm -hmm. and so... That's what I took away from it, at least. Yeah. They don't really go into detail of where you're... they're kind of on this big ship and then they end up there yeah and where it really starts to hook you in in this story is when um adam ewing is being shown the slaves like that they're taking or that they're going to be purchasing and this one slave is getting whipped like brutally and he makes eye contact adam and the slave make eye contact and then adam faints and I was wondering, I was watching that, and I was like, I wonder if he fainted, because obviously, if you watch the scene, you see that he's, like, hot the whole time. Yeah, he's, he, he has a f- yeah he has a fever, because he has, like, some sort of parasite. Yeah, and then you see that he has a fever, quote-unquote, parasite, and then he faints. But, like, to me, watching it, I felt like he fainted, because, like, that was, like, way too much stimulation for him. Yeah, it was, like, too real. Like, he... Way too intense. Making eye contact with the slave, he... I feel like he felt the emotions and it was just too real for him he didn't he could see he saw in the eyes of the other person that that's a human Mm -hmm. it's not an animal like his father-in-law would assume I feel like he was almost embarrassed too because he's like this is not me yeah I I feel like just watching him he's like what the fuck did I sign myself up for Mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't take much from the beginning I feel like that was kind of like the intro to the movie yeah Another thing that's hard about this movie is to, like, I tried taking notes because Bray's a note taker and I wanted to show her up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, okay, so I got really into that scene. I'm like, you know, I'm going to write all these notes about the first episode. And then it skipped. So then I was like, shit. When that time period really took off for me is when they were on the boat. Yeah, and same. When he was poisoning him. So when they're on the boat, uh, Tua is uh, hiding so that he's not captured and he makes friends with Adam, and Adam is, like, giving him food. Like, he's sneaking in food and helping him out. And that's kind of when I was, like, the same situation where I was, like, that's when I was, like, oh, okay, I have to follow this. Well, and I loved when he, like, stood up for him, and he was, like, went to the captain and was, like, let me show you what this man can do. Yeah. And that scene. I know. tying the ropes on the boat. That was a fucking amazing. And him, like, jumping off and, like, swinging. I was, like, that is the coolest shit I've fucking ever seen. I was... I was watching it with my boyfriend, Sean, which he can't, like, he enjoys movies, but he can't comprehend, like, I always have to find, like, I'm so annoying to watch movies with, because, like, I will know the ending before the ending even comes, Mm because I have to figure it out. I'm not, like, cool, I'm I'm along for the ride. I'm, like, okay, so what is the ending? So, like, I'm always, like, very intensely watching, and Sean's not, but Mm -hmm. I was like, babe, you have to watch this scene. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because he, like, swings around the whole entire boat, but the fucked up part is um the captain was trying to shoot him he's like oh he's no good yeah uh adam interrupted and like pushed the gun out of the way right before he took a shot and saved him and they were like damn wow this guy actually really knows what the fuck he's doing yeah and they would have been sorry if they shot him down yeah um another confusing thing about the movie too is so many of the main actors play in every single time period yeah there's like six main actors that 
play different characters in every single timeline. So that's why, like, I was just looking for the name, and I'm like, I'm not going to find his name because it, I, cause it's Tom Hanks. But I was like, what is the guy's name? I'm like, I'm not going to remember Dr. Goose. See, how <laughs> how does she remember this? because <laughs> I took notes. <laughs> and also, I did You're research. You're not even looking at the notes. <laughs> I, well, I did do research after, too. Like, I'm always, like, Googling, like, if I have any questions. So that's why. Can we just kind of take a minute to guess what kind of bra- grades Bray got in high school and what kind of grades I got Bitch, in high school? Bitch, I was a C student. No, I, I don't think you were. I swear, my bitch, I didn't do fucking homework ever. I yeah, never you didn't did do homework. homework. She didn't do homework. Okay, I'm sorry. She didn't do homework, but she did great in school. I would not have passed physics if this woman, <laughs> I, I was like, great, um, sweetheart, can I have answers for this? I'm a good test taker, but give me homework and I'll fucking throw it away. <laughs> True. That's why I was a C student. My fucking test scores kept my grades up. My homework scores dropped them. Oh, that's why I failed everything, because I didn't do homework nor tests <laughs> i was like i'm too cool for all of this stuff anyway back to the movie. that moment where he when he saved him from getting shot and he spoke up for him like he's gonna be a great sailor at tua kind of stuck with him so he was getting poisoned by dr, dr. Goose, goose yeah and because dr goose realized he had gold in his safe or his uh trunk mm-hmm. and so throughout the whole of that scene of um 1936 you kind of see him being like sick on the boat and it's because dr goose is poisoning him literally the entire time just to steal from him yeah the doctor like convinced him that he has this parasite and but in reality he was just poisoning him because he knew that he could get away with stealing his gold from his trunk and then i wrote a little note about that i was like saying how um because like a lot of things in this movie like spoke to me and like there's, like, a lot of life lessons, I feel like, just in this movie. Definitely. Like, we're just on the first time period, and, like, mm-hmm. so there's so many notes already. Um, a lot of the, Okay, so a lot of times the movie is kind of, like, 50-50. It's, like, either people doing good or people doing bad. And I feel like when people do bad, their character kind of leans towards bad throughout the whole movie. Yeah, that was a theme that I caught on, too. It was kind of, like, karma. Yeah, like, karma, exactly. I yeah. wrote that in here, too, how cool. it's completely karma. Uh-huh. But I wrote how, like, it's crazy that someone is willing to kill for money. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's, like, so much of today. Like, mm-hmm. people are literally just want to die for money. Like, that's, like, their main focus. I kind of feel like this movie is based on what is going to happen to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I, that's why I kind of looked at it that way and took notes on it that way. Yeah. One of the things that I wrote down for the Adam Ewing timeline was something that I heard that I just was like, I need to write this down because it was really good. If God created the world, how do we know what we can change and what needs to be kept sacred? And I thought that is, was so cool. And that's what I mean. Like, so, like, this movie is so fucking deep. Yeah. Like, I also wrote down quotes, and I'm like, why has, like, this, like, shook me a little bit. Like, uh-huh. I was like, I relate to this. Yeah. In totally. every way. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool quote, because it's so true. Like, in today's world, you know, the whole controversy, controversy with, like, GMOs and stuff. Like, just as an example, it's like, sure, like, God or whatever source, spirit created these foods for us and what who are we to change them Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's like well if god created us then we can just whatever we do is like kind of whatever was laid out to be done anyway yeah so yeah i just thought that was a cool quote it's really deep it is um another thing back to what i was kind of saying about how atua like stuck with adam because adam gave him the opportunity to show who he really was more than just a slave um when he was getting poisoned for the parasite um 
there was one scene where, like, Atua could tell he was really, really sick. Adam was really sick. And he was like, you know what? I'm not leaving him. And Dr. Goose was like, he, he didn't like you anyway. Get out. Like, trying to discourage him away from him. But he sat there and he was like, no. And then he realized that Dr. Goose was poisoning Adam. And he, like, tried beating him up. And then Adam was like, how the fuck did he bounce back? And was like, all right, I'm, it's my turn. Yeah, I, I guess he realized <laughs> what, like, that was the point when Adam realized, like, oh, shit, I guess he is poisoning me. Mm-hmm. And then, I guess, you know, just that realization of life or death, death must have given him some adrenaline. But it's just crazy. Like, he didn't even know this guy, but he vouched for him. Yeah. And it just shows, like, another. Saved, it's like they both saved each other. It's like another metaphor, like, exactly like that. They both saved each other, like. If you're good to someone, they'll be good to you back. So it's mm-hmm. like, don't make enemies. Like, be the best you that you can be. Yeah. And another scene from that that I really thought was, like, holy shit, was at when Atua was first, like, talking to Adam on the ship, he was like, you need to help me, and if you don't, kill me. Because I would rather die than live the life of that's ahead of me, which is going to be, like, beaten and put into slavery. Yeah. And I was like, damn. And that's why I'm glad that Adam, like, saw that. Like, I feel like, I know it's obviously just a movie, but he was way ahead of his time because back then people didn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. They're like, again, like how Dr. Goose was literally killing him just so he could have some gold. Yeah. He was like, all right, let me do my best to do this. Yeah, like, people got away with so much more back then because, like, there wasn't really any um, human rights Oh, type not, of anything not at all yeah. yeah so the next timeline was the story of robert frobisher who's a young man and the first scene of him is him in bed with his lover who's another man so it establishes him being gay and he has a uh, birthmark on his lower back and the birthmark is in the shape of a comet yeah when he leaves his lover he steals a bike and he takes his lover's um like coat. top coat yeah or waistcoat waistcoat and goes to a very famous music composer and wants to like work for him so that he can get inspired and be able to write music uh this is one of my favorite timelines just because i feel like each timeline brings a different message so this one was like i feel like true love is true love yeah kind of throughout the movie i noticed that true love is true love but this one because like the love the two feel together is, like, tremendous. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also very sad. This whole scene's very sad as well. Yeah. So as you watch, they all have these birthmarks that kind of tie them together. Yeah. It's the comet birthmark. They're hidden all out throughout their body. But one thing I realized is, like, when they have that comet birthmark, if you see through the different scenes, that their dreams also kind of link to each other. So the one guy was talking about, he's like, I've heard this in a dream. Oh, yeah. He's like, this is my dream. And he's like, no, this is my writing. Yeah. Because he's the beginning of the birthmarks. And also, another thing that is that same situation is when Louisa goes into the record store to find the Cloud Atlas um, composed music piece. When it's playing, she's like, I've heard this before. Yep. And then the cashier guy at the record store is like, I, this is really familiar to me too. So it kind of ties, it, I feel like it's kind of a theme of we are all the same soul, just fragmented into different souls. Mm-hmm. Like, so we kind of all have the same memories of past lives. And like, yeah, it just like our memories can transcend our lifetime. Did you see, this is something that I didn't catch on until 
like I was kind of thinking it during the movie, but I didn't really catch on until after I looked it up. But Robert Frobisher's lover was the same guy who's in the next story, like the nuclear scientist, Sixsmith, Doctor. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. Doctor Sixsmith. I didn't even put that together until like the end of the movie. I was like, wait a second. I'm, I think that's the same character. Yeah, it is. But I, I was like, wow, that's so cool that the like the same main character soul that follows through the main characters of each timeline was connected to him in two different timelines in the in the third timeline in Louisa's timeline when she meets um doctor is he is he a doctor or is he just a scientist I forget his first name okay well when she meets six smith in the elevator he recognizes the birthmark on her neck because his lover robert had the same birthmark and he said yeah he's like i knew someone that he, he's like i've seen that birthmark before i knew someone really close to me yeah and it was his lover which i is love robert. the whole birthmark thing me too i love how that ties them all together yeah and th- i feel like that's really cool because you know a lot of people say how like your birthmark is where you got like shot or wounded in your past life yeah Yeah. like there was like a story of a baby who had a birthmark on his head and said that in his past life he got killed with an axe there's a woman i work with and i wrote this down she had that exact birthmark on the back of her neck what a comet and a star yep no Mm -hmm. you've got to be fucking no fucking way yeah it's not exactly like that but it's the same like that's so cool yeah the one time she has she had really short hair like um like a pixie cut and the one time she was bending over, I'm like, you need, I need to take a picture of the back of your neck. This is a couple of years ago, so I don't know if I'll be able to find it. That's like, what if she is just the next character in the timeline of this movie? Well, she's a total bitch, so I hope she's not. <laughs> well, at, mm, there's fucking assholes in this movie, so she could be. <laughs> the only birthmark that I have that's like a birthmark is on my, my hip, and it's just like a line. I have no birthmarks. And then I have that big mole on my shoulder. I did not know... That the composer's wife was Halle Berry until I was researching the movie after I watched it. I had no idea. It looks absolutely nothing like her. But I loved her character in that I in think that the reason you didn't notice that is because it was, like, your first time watching. Yeah. But, like, did you notice that Halle Berry was one of the um, slave women? Yeah. In the first one? Yeah. Okay. That one t- blew my mind. Did you know that notice that Robert Frobisher was reading Adam Ewing's journal? Oh, no, I didn't. Throughout his timeline. I didn't That's what he was reading, and he was, like, kind of getting inspiration from Adam Ewing's journal. And see, that's another thing, how they're connected. Yeah. I I literally went right over my head, even after watching it four times. There was uh, the scene when Adam shot the composer. Did you see that underneath the bed, like, under the bed (gasps) frame was that book? I was going to ask you that. That I was going to be like, I didn't pick up on that, but why was that book highlighted? That was Adam Ewing's journal. Oh, okay. I literally like, was watching that movie and I saw that scene, watching the movie and I saw that scene and I'm like, I have to fucking ask Ray what that was because I did not like pick up on that. Yeah. I was going to write down the title of the book and I didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that so cool? Yeah, because I did not see that. I know there's so many little things in this movie that just like follow through that you would never notice. And that just shows like how many times you watch it, you're still not going to pick up on everything. Yeah. Like this is a movie you have to like slowly watch over time constantly. Yeah. A thing that was really sad about that time with Robert Frobisher Robert Frobisher Robert Frobisher (laughs) um was the whole up and down with his love 
because he he wanted to love him so bad but for some I don't I didn't pick up on why he couldn't love him. Same. I don't understand that either because when he was at the top of that tower and his that lover was looking off. for him, I was like, "Oh, they're going to they're going to meet up again." And he just hid from him and I was like, "What? Why? Why couldn't he not love him?" I think I think it's because this is just my take on it. I think it's because he knew that he was going to commit suicide and he just didn't want to meet up with him again because he didn't want his lover to persuade him to not do it because he just wanted to create his music and then just off himself and he knew that if he met up with him again why did that give me goosebumps i know me too like the shivers i know i know well i was going to mention that too how like our last podcast we talked about mental illness a lot and i feel like that implied to it because he was like i don't love myself so i can't love him yeah but i feel like this movie was so in-depth they didn't have time to reiterate that i know they could have made this one movie into like four different movies they should have. I know. It like, would have been so much easier. If they did what, like, how Avatar, the Avatar movies are, how they're, they literally have five Avatar movies planned, and they only had one release so far. Can you believe that? Can There's we, five Can we planned. just talk about how it got pushed back another fucking year? I know. I don't even bring it up. I will get angry. <laughs> I'm already angry. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's bullshit. Come on, release it. I know. But that's how you know this movie's gonna be, that movie's gonna be fucking epic, because... I it took fucking them hope this so. Long, this long. If it took them this long and I'm disappointed, I I will not watch any of the others. We are writing. <laughs> we are writing a James, letter. James Cameron, <laughs> you will be hearing from us. <laughs> the Robert Frobisher story was definitely. It was a good one, but I did. I really. The one thing that I kind of had questions on about his timeline was how did he he like had sex with the Halle Berry character, the composer's wife. I don't really get that. Same. Like, what role did that play in his timeline? I don't understand that either. And then I feel like that was like they fucked and it was kind of skipped over. But what I thought it was funny is when he tried having sex. I know. Like, when the he composer. tried having sex. And then the composer just started cracking up. Yeah. It made me laugh. I know. Because like, it was such like an intimate moment. And he like put his hand on his face. And then the guy just starts cracking up. And like, obviously I love him because... Um, he plays Slughorn in Harry Potter. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Casey's a Harry Potter fan. Uh, through and through. And I've never seen the movies. And this has been a debate for us since we met when we were 12 years old, is that I've never seen them. The one time you tried making me watch it, and within the first 30 minutes, I fell asleep. All right, we're going we're gonna to leave this conversation for another time. Yes. No. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to uh, Louisa Ray's story, San Francisco, 1973. Okay, so 19, yeah, the one in 1973. I like, that was awesome. Like, they're all my favorite. They're all my favorite scenes. Like, I'm like, this one's my favorite. Like, Honestly, like, my favorites were the future ones. Obviously. Because I'm a sci-fi bitch. <laughs> she is. Like, she, I didn't even think that you would enjoy any of these. See, like, I'm very, like, I love my sci-fi but I'm also very, like, I like the history. I like to seeing the old stuff. And Bray was like, I am an alien. <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> like, it, that's how it is. Yeah, um, true. Uh, I was trying to get it going. Like, where, like, I, where, okay, she starts off and her, is that the kid that she's, like, friends with? That's, like, her neighbor who yeah. just, like, hangs out with her when, I guess. And he's, like, a secret genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was really cool. I like that little... Like, he was such a minimal character, but I really liked his character. Same, because he, like, helped them out in such, like, stupid little ways. (laughs) Yeah. 
So when Louisa Ray meets um, the scientist Six Smith, he is asking her questions like he's kind of like leading her into believing that he has a story that she should break. And so she's kind of like, you know, if you ever want to talk about what you mentioned, call me. And then so he does call her when he realizes like his time is limited. He leads her to believe that he has a story that he was like, you could break this story. And I love their relationship, by the way. With Louisa Ray? Yeah. Yeah, because th- they just met in the in yeah, the elevator. Yeah, best friends. I mean, for a very limited time. But hold on, you go. Oh. Well, I'll say I, how, they, they, how they became, I'm like, go. <laughs> Pretty um, said go. <laughs> no, they, so that elevator scene is, fuck, I'm stuck in the elevator with some random stranger, but they end up, like, connecting on so many levels, and then, I don't want to jump ahead too much at all, but, like, through the end, the reason everything works out for her is because she has those letters to give to the granddaughter. Yes. So, like, if that scene... I think it was his niece, not his granddaughter. Oh, his niece. So, like, yeah, if they never met in that elevator, those... She... Okay. It's... This is why the movie is so confusing. There's so many parts I feel like I'm leaving out just by skipping to this. I don't think we could ever cover this film in just one podcast, but we're just going to go with it. So, after they meet in the elevator... And he discusses how he has something that she probably wants to use in her journalism. She's like, call me when, if you ever want to talk about it. And he says, I will. And so then he does at night. And she's like, okay, I'll come over. And as soon as she comes over, the door is locked because he was just assassinated by somebody from the oil industry. And so once she goes and gets like the, um, the building person concierge yeah the con when she goes and gets the concierge and they unlock the door they find him dead but she sees something under him and it's the letters from his past lover robert frobishar and robert frobishar had the journal from adam ewing i didn't pick up on that either i didn't pick up the adam ewing from that Mm -hmm. but that's why their interaction is so important because if she would have never met him in that elevator if she would have never got those notes, later down the line, those notes are so important. Yeah. Because they, they're literally notes that she wrote when she was in her past life. True. Like, she literally wrote those notes in her past life. And she's reading them. And she's like, like, the her neighbor is like, why do you keep reading them? And she's like, I don't know. There's just something. There's something here. Well, I just got goosebumps, goosebumps again because I completely forgot that the whole basis of this movie is past lives. Mm-hmm. So that is, like, weird that, like, she is reading her... Like, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Like, I knew the whole basis was past lives, but for some reason in my brain, I didn't, like, pair their interactions Yeah, the only reason well. why I kind of pair them together is because they... Like, each person who has that birthmark... I think it's kind of following that soul. Like, that soul gets that birthmark in each lifetime. But at the same time, every soul is connected because other people kind of, like, the person in the record store picked up on the Cloud Atlas melody and was like, this is familiar to me. And that actor was Robert Frobishar in the previous timeline. So that's kind of why he picks up on it because he he was that actor in the previous timeline. So it it just kind of shows you that, yes, there's past lives that connect, but also every single soul is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump to Hugo Weaving, his character, because what I noticed, so I noticed him, this is going to jump back a little bit. Um, 
So when I noticed him, when he was, um, he had dinner with the composer, mm-hmm. and what, okay, so he was looking at the composer's wife. So the composer and Robert Fobuchar were having dinner, and the wife was there, obviously, the composer's wife was there, obviously, and they invited um, the actor Hugo Weaving in, and he, he plays a, such a small role in that scene, but I feel like the reason he turns evil is because of what he said, and the, the composer said in this scene. So... He was like, why can't he, like, look at your wife or talk to your wife or something like that? And he's like, don't you know? He's Jewish. And this was the time of World War II. Uh-huh. So I, in my theory, I was like, did the, he turn so evil because how he got treated in World War II during, like, Hitler and the Holocaust or anything like that? Because he was like, don't you know he's Jewish? Uh... He does. He can't do that stuff. Wait, so you're saying that Hugo was, he played a Jewish person in this timeline? Yeah. Because I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Okay. Because, like... I don't know if you saw when, like, the wife stood up. He, like, stood up and, like, stared at her. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what's happening here? Like, does he love her or something like that? And he's like, he's like, are you dumb? He's Jewish. Do you not know Got, what's going on? Because, like, Jewish people in that time were, like, second-class citizens. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. don't you know what's going on in Germany right now? Gotcha. And that was when he was first introduced. So I think that's why he was evil throughout. Okay. Because, like, how karma plays. Yeah. So it's like... So you're saying that um, because he was Jewish and probably treated absolutely horribly in that timeline... That kind of made him want revenge in so, his next life. And that's why in every single past life, he was, like, the strong figure, quote-unquote. He mm-hmm. was, like, the one taking charge. He was a sneaky, evil one. And I think yeah. because he didn't have time to have his good karma. He was instantly judged right away for just being Jewish. Yeah. So then he was like, fuck that. I'm taking back. Like, not like revenge. Subconsciously, because obviously they don't remember their past lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's why it that... It sparked it in him. The that's revenge, why that yeah. evil was brought up, because of something so small prior. Yeah, so it's kind of like going on the butterfly effect. Like, every situ- or every decision that you make in this life could impact every lifetime after and before. Yep. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't even pick up on that part. I literally have so much written about him because, like, he's never played a good character yet. Yeah. So, back to the time period. Louisa. Louisa. Um, so, like, even, for instance, back to what I was just saying about how he, he never played a good character. He was the president of a fuel company or... Yeah, like an oil company. An oil company. And he didn't... He basically did not want the future to happen. Yeah. He wanted to hold it on as hard as he could to the oil industry because he knew that if the nuclear um, engineering, that would become the future and revolutionize the energy industry. And he obviously didn't want that to happen because he was greedy and just wanted all the the money from the oil. Yeah, he basically, he was trying to stop the future from turning into the future. Yeah. He basically hired someone to drive Holly Berry off the road. And if she would have died, she would have never shined light on what Hugo was basically trying to do. Basically ruining the future, causing there to be no future, as I said before. If Hugo's character had his way, it would have blown up. So so many people have died and it would have completely altered the future and like could have even been the end of humanity, possibly. We don't know what could have happened. But anyway, so what you're saying is if Louisa Ray's character died in the scene of when she got ran off the road off that bridge, then it would have she couldn't have stopped what was going to happen. And, and that would have ended everything. Yeah, exactly. would have probably ended right there because she had she held so much power. Mm-hmm. And that also shows for her because, yeah, from the get-go, her characters, she always played the one to speak up or the one to... She was just a strong female role throughout the whole entire thing. Yeah, and it, like, evolved with each timeline. Yep. Yeah. 
because I feel like in that way each character evolved throughout each timeline because it just like the karma was building of whatever they would do good or bad would fuel their next life and so when Louisa Ray met Tom Hanks character I forget his name but whatever oh wow we're clear at something <laughs> so Tom Hanks is another scientist like in the he's working for the oil company but he finds Louisa like snooping through Six Smith's office to find more information on the story that she wanted to release um he didn't rat on her because he knew like the consequences that were ahead of them and so he was about to help her and then he got assassinated too they blew up his plane yep and I thought it was funny I was writing notes about like how the story is basically about karma and past lives and then literally an hour and 24 minutes into I wrote the time everything I'm so nerdy with that but like I wrote the time in and like I was like telling Sean about it I'm like yeah it's basically about karma and past lives and then Tom Hank goes everything's karma and all your past lives are connected I'm like yeah the fuck? like I just thought it was funny like obviously the movies are based on that but I didn't expect him to say it yeah so it's just funny at that moment I was writing it down he said it so I was yeah. like am I am I connected yeah that's like such an easy thing to miss in the movie but like there's little things throughout this movie just like this situation where there it's just such a little line that you could easily miss that just sums up the whole, whole theme of the entire mm-hmm. movie yeah completely so then louisa ray meets up with like after she realizes that the oil industry is kind of like onto her like they know that she could release the story she gets attacked in her apartment but come to find out it's actually her one of her father's friends and he's about to help her and you know what's funny about that so so you know how they were tricking um hugo they were tricking hugo the actor that plays hugo they were tricking him to be like oh i have information about halle berry and like in that moment i was like this fucking rat because, like, I trusted him, so like, I was mm-hmm. like, this fucking rat. And then I realized that our whole plan was to trick him. And I just thought that was funny because, like, I fully believed. I'm like, same. Oh, on her. Oh, my God, same, yeah. I got so pissed. Same. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> and then he stuck around and helped her out. Yeah. So he helped her out and, like, saved her from getting hit by that car. Like, he knew what was about to go down. And eventually she got to release the story. Like, she got the story. Like, they, she released it to the public so that they – fixed whatever was going to go wrong with the nuclear reactor and saved humanity she literally saved humanity and that's when the notes come into play because since she had the um nieces i mean the um uncle's notes from the past lover she was like i have something for you if you give me that copy yeah but if she would have never grabbed those love letters she would have never got that copy Mm -hmm. so it just shows that like she just picked up on every tiny little thing Uh uh-huh yeah that's where i wanted to go yeah, and the um, Sixsmith's niece was the actress who plays the main character of another timeline, which we didn't get to yet, which was cool. So, do you have anything else to say about Louisa? Just that she's a bad bitch, but yeah, she's a that. fucking bad bitch. <laughs> um, okay, so London 2012, Timothy Cavendish, his timeline. <laughs> this guy is whimsical. He... Um, so he's a publisher, and he published this book that did not do well at all, and the writer of the book was Tom Hanks. I forget his character name in this timeline, but he wrote a book called Knuckle Sandwich, 
And so the reason why the book did horrible is because a um, a critic released that like his his review on the book was just bad, so it did horrible on like the charts or whatever. So at this like release party, or I don't even know if it's a release party for his book, but he sees this critic at this party and he's so mad that he's the reason why his book failed that he fucking throws him off the balcony and just kills him. At this moment, I was like, what the fuck just happened? I could not believe it. And it was very graphic too. I was like, wow. It was graphic. It wasn't like, hi, I threw you off the roof. Like you watched him fall and hit and the splatter. fucking pavement. Yeah, I was like, damn. <laughs> No, that was so intense. I, I feel like the writer of the book, Tom Hanks' character in this timeline, I when I was watching it, I was imagining the character. Okay, I've never seen Uncut Gems, but I was looking at Tom Hanks' character and I was seeing Adam Sandler's character of Uncut Gems. Like, they just have the same exact style. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. After um, Tom H- I almost said Adam Sandler. <laughs> After Tom Hanks throws the critic off the balcony that is what causes his book to just skyrocket in sales because you know everybody's like well he killed a man over this book so I want to read it so the book went crazy and Timothy Cavendish the publisher made so much money off of this and like he got really rich off of it and you know owed a lot of people money and then it come to find out he had debts so he was left with barely anything and the writer of the book who's now in jail because he killed a guy his family is coming after him for some money because they want some money and so he's trying to figure out how he can come up with this money for these people and the only person left to call out because he's calling people and they're just you know denying him denying him and the only person left he has to call is his brother so he goes and meets up with his brother and his brother's like i'm not helping you and then then uh he his brother's wife comes in and she's like hey timothy and then Mm. and then the brother (laughs) the brother gets an idea and he's like i can help you and he's like oh you you have to hide away you have to hide away so he sends him to this hotel which isn't really a hotel and timothy pretty much signs his life away over to this like residential living community a senior living home yeah that's where casey works (laughs) yeah so well that's why i found this scene so funny because like i work at a place like this and, like, I can see these old people ganging up to break out of here. Oh, my God. <laughs> but another thing about Hugo Weaving, this is another part when he was bad, because that's Hugo Weaving, the brother. Uh-huh, yeah. So he sends him to a fucking old folks Yeah, home. he has, like, a revenge thing against his brother, yeah. Yeah, um, but though, that scene, I love that scene. I think, the, no, not even the scene, like, that whole part, because... It's just funny to see the elderly, like, coming together. Like, they're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. I know. Like, and, like, when they met in the basement to, like, plan their great escape. Yeah. And, like, just, like, seeing how, like, they're, like, technology, ta- te- technology, technologically in- illiterate. Oh, my God. <laughs> technologically in- Ill- God damn it. <laughs> technologically illiterate. Yes. Okay. Because when they, okay, so... Clearly, he's not meant to be there because normally senior living homes, they you sign your rights over to, like, your family member and they send you there. It's normally when, like, you've obviously declined and it would be better for you to stay there, get your food, get everything like that. But, like, clearly, he is not at that state in life yet. Mm-hmm. So, that's why it's honestly hilarious that her, his brother sent him there. Like, talk about revenge. Like, that's the I best know. revenge. Because he's old, but he's not, like, senile. 
But no matter what you say, if you're in that situation, they're just going to be like, you're crazy. Like, you're not getting out of here. They're getting your money. They want to keep you there. Yeah. And the reason his brother sent him there is because he was sleeping with his wife, Mm -hmm. which is, like, totally badass. Like, I fucked your wife, and now you sent me to an old folks home. Like, (laughs) that is just hilarious. Um, Oh, and the, um, like, the warden lady of the senior the senior living home was that also hugo or not that was also hugo okay (laughs) so like see that's another thing that he's always a bad character yeah because she she had it out for them man she really wanted to whip their asses yeah she did it was funny because they all met in the basement they're planning this great escape okay so do you remember the little old man yeah who couldn't really talk he just said like one what did he say what was his catchphrase i i know or something Something like that. Yeah. Why did I think that was Holly Berry at first? Shut the fuck up. No, oh, you like, didn't. I was like, is I was like, that's Holly Berry. She's no. just an old person. They're adding her to the scene. Oh my. And then God. I watched it again. I'm like, oh, Holly Berry. I, I personally apologize. <laughs> Holly Berry, but, where? <laughs> I apologize for that. But so I love that. That's hilarious. It made me laugh so hard. I honestly, I do wish that the the old people that were planning the escape were other characters because they, they kind of just like you know like oh, after watching it and overviewing everything they definitely like the old lady that should have been Halle Berry because no Halle Berry should have been the old man okay but <laughs> they, she should have been at least one of them because they're kind of randomly thrown in there and you're like are these people supposed to be like part of the timelines or yeah or maybe that was like the fun part because they were just random people random bypassers yeah. in life mm-hmm. that we all meet Back to the technologically challenged part, when they get in the car. Good job. <laughs> when they get in the car, and they can't start the car, because oh, yeah. it's a remote start. Yeah, they can't figure out the and push like, to start. You're, you're the genius, you're supposed to know. And he's like, I don't know. Yeah. They finally figure it out, and I love when the little old man comes running, and he's like, I know, and then I was like, please don't leave without him. And See? they went back for him. And it was important that they went back for him. Yeah, because then when they went to the bar, he saved them. He got all the uh, bar goers the against. Scottish people. So yeah. I guess the reason he didn't talk is he had a Scottish accent. Because you know how he stood up and he's like, Arg! Yeah. Come help me, my people. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. I know, that was hilarious. It was so cute. I was like, this is your moment to shine. You you get up there. You <laughs> save your friends. Yeah. Like, they saved you. I love that. It was so cute. Yeah, that was a really good scene. The Timothy Cavendish character of this timeline really did annoy me, though. Really? Yeah. It was just annoying. Because, like, I don't know. He was just, like... Entitled it, in a way? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was kind of entitled. No, I can see that completely. But, I mean, I like the timeline, but, yeah, he definitely annoyed me a little bit. I kind of feel like that timeline could have been skipped. I don't remember any, like, significant things that stood out to me in that time period. Well, the one thing that did, like, stick out to me was when you see that he has the um, birthmark on his leg was talking about when he, like, lost his virginity to Ursula. I think her name was Ursula, right? Yeah, so when he lost his virginity to Ursula, you could see that he had the birthmark on his leg and then it kind of jumps back to his relationship with her right before was that right before he w- got admitted to the senior living facility because he like was spying on her and he was like should I go and knock on the door or should I just walk away and then after he gets out they connect again and then he's like writing his book and um she comes strolling into the yeah room. they're yeah. like together again one thing, though, about this timeline that I don't know if you picked up on, because I didn't pick up on it. This is something that I found out when I was researching it after. When Timothy Cavendish was on the train, he was reading 
the manuscript for the book that Louisa Ray wrote on her story. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so he was reading her manuscript and ended up publishing her... He published her manuscript. So that's just another thing. I didn't pick up on that. That's another thread that just ties the timelines Hmm. together. So at the end of his timeline, the last scene, I think, of his timeline, it's him writing a script... And he's writing a script for a screenplay movie of his life. And that movie shows up in the next timeline. Oh, okay. Because... I didn't pick up on that. Okay. I only knew this because I did... Like, I googled the movie after and was, like, reading all about it. But we'll pick up on that in the next timeline. So, New Soul in the year 2144, we see this character, Somni. And she is a waitress at a restaurant. How do you say her name? Somni. Somni. I think. So the restaurant, it's like, she's a clone. And all of these clones that work at this restaurant, they just wake up, go to work, work their day job. Then go back to their, like, holding unit. They drink this pouch. And then they get back in there. they call it soap. Yeah. They, I don't know why they call it soap. That was weird to me. Yeah. This scene i think this timeline i should say i think is the most important yeah timeline yeah like all the other timelines have small fragments of what are important Mm -hmm. but i feel like this is what cloud atlas is about yeah this whole time period right here do you feel the same or no oh yeah i think yeah definitely because this timeline was definitely a pivotal point in the movie and there was a lot in this timeline so when she's in her like sleeping unit she gets woken up by another clone and the clone is getting like raped by the restaurant owner and she's like why'd you wake me up or whatever and after the restaurant owner like goes into like a soap overdose and like falls asleep or passes out the other clone shows her like a little they go into like a hiding room and she shows her this little clip of a movie and the movie that she shows her is just a clip because it's stuck on repeat of just this one scene. And that movie was the movie that was made of Timothy Cavendish's story. Oh. And the actor who plays Timothy Cavendish in that is Tom Hanks. See, then what blows my mind with that is that whole little clip fuel basically fuels the fire inside of her. Because it's just the one thing that Timothy Cavendish said at the front desk of the senior living home. And it's like, I will not take this criminal abuse. Yep. And so when he says, I will not take this criminal abuse, that's the only scene that's on repeat on this thing. So this girl just knows this one scene, like this one thing. And so when she gets abused the next day, she gets like sexually harassed by some teenager. She's like punches him in the face or slaps him or whatever and says, I will not take this criminal abuse. And then she knows she fucked up and she's done for. So she's like, I might as well just try to escape. And she runs. And then when she gets killed, like when the restaurant owner kills her, I think that's when Somni realizes that she's not just a robot, she's actually human. Another big thing before we get too into the next part of this timeline is if you uh, if you watch this movie, which I'm telling you, like, you honestly, everyone should watch this movie. Like, I feel like we're going to go over a bunch of movies that I'm like, ah, it's a hit or miss, you don't have to watch it, but I feel like everyone has to watch this movie. Yeah. Is It's like... This time period is so much today's society, it's not even funny. Mm-hmm. You wake up, you go to work, you're too afraid to talk up to your bosses, you just stand in a marching line, hands at your hip, doing exactly what you're told 24-7, and that's what somebody's doing. 
that's all she knows. She's yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm born to do this. Yeah. And it's more dra- like more dramatic, but, like, honestly, that's how it, like, I feel that way. Yeah, because she's brainwashed, and that's pretty much just symbolizes how we are all, like, we're all going to our job and doing this and doing what we're told, but in reality, it's like, what even the fuck are we? Why are we here? Yeah. Why are we standing, like, why are we not standing up for ourselves and just taking orders? Like, what is this? What is this life even? That's why I look up to her. I'm like, <laughs> I want to be you, bitch. Yeah. Because it's true. Like, she finally, like, realizes, like, mm, there's more to this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like no one, like, we don't see it. Like, I'm stuck in that pattern now where I'm like, oh, yawn, wake up, go to work, wake up, go home, do this. Go. Like, this is, like, the funnest thing I've done in a while. This is a fucking podcast other than me following my cookie cutter border of life that I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I know. Especially because, like quarantine and everything you can't really do can't. much that we used to do you're like i want to get a drink and then like you have to sit at a secluded table in the corner and you're like i want to get fucking rowdy yeah again because casey's the alcoholic in the group <laughs> but anyway so when so many realizes that she's actually human like it kind of just shifts her perspective and so after her friend gets murdered she's woken up at night again and she's like i don't know why and then this guy takes her and she's like I don't know if I should trust you and he's like don't worry like you can trust me and he gets her out of her like she he takes her to the real world which she's never seen she's only seen this mall restaurant that she's worked her entire life and lived yeah so when she gets taken to like the street level she's like blown away and so he kind of gets her to escape from her situation the one thing that i don't understand about this part is how did he know I that was she just was gonna ask the you one i was just gonna ask you this i was I gonna be like know. i was gonna I, literally i was like waiting for you to finish and i was gonna be like did you pick up on why he chose her because i didn't the only thing that i can think of as why he chose her was now this is far-fetched but this is just the only situation that makes sense to me is the future civilization that the next timeline is in, like the um, advanced civilization that leaves Earth, communicated, like time traveled, and sent a message to the past civilization to say, you have to save this girl. She's the one that will change the world. Well, it makes sense because they idolize her so much in the future. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. That's the only thing that would I feel like would make sense Because to this man that saved her was literally willing to risk everything uh-huh. to save this one woman. If she is a clone... Then it's like, why now? Why this time? And why her? If they're all clones, why did he choose her? I think the answer to that is love. Because in this movie, love transcends every lifetime. And because in each timeline, those two actors, like their characters, are in love. Like in the first timeline, Adam Ewing, his wife, is that actress. Which cracks me up. Who play? I know. Who plays um, Somni in the 2144 timeline. So throughout every timeline, their love transcends their bodies. So I think I think he knew it was her because he must have felt like love towards her. And that's why she was chosen. Because he knew that he would love her. And they were together from the beginning of the story. Yeah. To the end. Uh-huh. Yeah, so when she gets chosen, like when she escapes from that... He's showing her, like, the, like, they're, the, whatever type of government it is, is making clones that you are a part of, and the thing that fucked me up 
was that the clones that they make, yes, they convince them that they ascend, but really they just murder them and feed them to the other ones. The the soap that they eat and drink to get like fucked up on or just to survive off of is basically dead human bodies. remains. Yeah, that's basically it's human literally they're they're forced to eat each other and they don't even know that they're eating each other. It's disgusting. It is so disgusting. There's <sighs> there's one scene where. Okay, so there's the scene where she is watching, okay, say, like, when they transcend, I wish you guys can see me, because I'm, like, doing clothes a lot, like, I'm very active <laughs> with my hands, so I, just, I know. one day you guys will be able to watch us do yeah, this. Yeah, we'll eventually get a video set up, but for now, we can't, we can't handle that. Yeah, no, that's way too much. So, okay, so when you see them transcend, okay, so when they transcend, they are like, oh, you're going, you're basically going to be free, like, every work that you did, all the work you did for us is, you're done, you're done. So they dress you in these beautiful all-white robes, and you're, you're they chant, and they walk down, and they're so ecstatic, and they put you in this chair. And then, so, the whole time, Sony and everyone that's working in the restaurant are wearing these, like, metal bands around their neck, and I guess it's to, like, it's basically, like, I feel like it's like a tracking device yeah. to see what they're doing 24-7. So they're like, okay, your tracker is getting removed. So what they do is, like, they're so excited, and that's the saddest part about this, is they are genuinely excited to be free. They're like, yeah. they're raised that like, work, 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 and then you transcend and you have your whole freedom and your whole life. So that's all they're waiting for. They're happy to work because they yeah. cannot wait to transcend. And they, when they're like a fellow, one of them is transcending, they make a whole ceremony out of it. And they're, they're so singing, excited. you know the song that they sing? That's the Cloud Atlas Shut up. Yes, that's the song that um, that Robert Frobisher made. That's the Cloud Atlas song. Yeah. No, I didn't even pick up on that. I know, I didn't either until I researched it after. <laughs> that's fucking awesome, though. I know, is that cool? So, yeah, they're transcending. They're in these beautiful white robes. They go to take their collars off, and that collar, so when they take it off, they inject them at the neck and at the end of the feet, and they drag them down to make soap. But she's standing there watching it, and she's watching clones of herself mm-hmm. die over and over again. And she's like, they feed us soap. Which was so deep, because she's like, soap is me. Like, she's like, they feed me me. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? I know, that was just absolutely disgusting. That was horrible. Yeah. Just look at her, li- her eyes. Like, she's like, I eat me. Like, I was surviving off of myself i know and like the scene before she knows that she's that's what that is when they're all just like eating their little juice box just me thinking back to that and being like that is like human remains that's so and they're fucking like, disgusting and like it's funny because like they have like their 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 two hands on the juice box and like the the they're like drinking out of a straw it's like it's like dripping down their chin they're just so happy and so like gross. literally they're just eating clones of yours like that's like okay like what i know i can't even fathom i know that fucked me up (laughs) this is another like writer that i just want to sit down and talk to i just want to be like where did you come up with the concept i know it is pretty far out it is (laughs) and that's why when i'm like where did you get this from (laughs) yo the future timeline sent it to his brain or her brain they know something we don't know yeah just this, like, the subliminal messages behind everything. I'm like, you know something. Or a lot of acid, or that could help, too. True. Or DMT. That could help. But just the trust that this guy had in her from, the, like, teaching her everything, watching her learn. Because she didn't know anything. She knew to march in a line, keep going, keep her head down, make 
make the pockets deeper of everyone. That's another reason why I'm like, this is a today's government because they don't give a fuck about us. Well, I work in healthcare. Anyone that works in healthcare knows that like your payment isn't from them. Your payment is the good karma that you're getting from helping people in need. She didn't know much. She was kind of um, ignorant to everything. She didn't know anything. She just knew to make money for the, they call them the consumers. Mm -hmm. And that like, like, fucking suck with me too yeah like take money from the consumers yeah everything was consumers and that's like what we are today so like it's like buy 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 yeah advertise this buy this buy this whatever yeah we are just like consumers. materialistic fucking hungry so we are the consumer so that's like capitalism her, I, amen so her whole job is to feed the consumers be there for the consumers. Do this. So that's all she knows. She doesn't think outside the box until this one guy comes. So I loved watching her learn. Because, like, there were scenes where you would see her, like, not... She was very head down, reserved, didn't know what to do. And then he was, like, teaching her how to use electronics. And she's just, like, filling her brain with all the knowledge that she can possibly fill her brain with. Mm -hmm. It's She's not, like, afraid of the knowledge. I feel like if I was stuck in that work environment, I would be afraid. I would not know what to do. I'm like, what the fuck is this? She what was, is that? She was kind of timid, but she was open to learning. Yeah, and then you see the one scene, she's just swiping through, reading everything, swiping through, reading, swiping through, reading, and I thought that was amazing. Yeah. And I feel like that was another message. Stop putting your head down and working straight line. Branch out. Ask you, questions. You, I'm more, I'm more of like the head down, make money, go straight. Bray's more the one that's like, stop and analyze what's wrong here <laughs> and i'm like Fuck. question everything okay <laughs> everything and that's what makes us work so well too like, i feel like we always talk about how our dynamic work dynamic dynamic works so well together it's because like i'm very like i don't want to say old school because like i feel like i have more depth than just an old school person like you know what i mean but like i feel like i'm very like oh i have to make money so i can buy a house i have to do this and bray's like why don't you stop and do what the fuck you love i'm, and I'm just the process of that See, I'm just the type of person that I am so impulsive that I don't really plan. Like, I, I try to plan, like, my days out, but I've just given up on planning my future because so much fucked up shit has happened to me in my life. I'm just, like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so fuck it. Like, yeah. I'm just going to worry about what's today. So that's just, I'm just impulsive. And I am not as impulsive. This is another side note that... And also, when I was in middle school and high school, I, like, got very, very deep into the conspiracy-type rabbit hole on the internet, and that's why I'm like, you always have to ask questions, but now I'm, I've stepped back and, like, you know, reevaluated my own situation and, like, my own mindset about that type of thing. So I'm not in that rabbit hole anymore, but I come from a background who has seen that type of crazy... <laughs> But it makes sense, though. Like, you do have to question everything you ask. And that's, like, I'm more of, like, she's more science. No, she's more. I know what you mean. It's it's more. She follows her heart more and her own, like, intuition. And I'm, like, wait, where's the science behind this? Like, I'm, like, I need the logic. Mm -hmm. But then again, I can branch out and be, like, I see it. Yeah, you you definitely see, like, the more free spiritual side of life but i need the logic to back it up yeah, too. yeah. like i can't dive so deep where the logic isn't there because like i'm like i need science like and it's funny for me to say that because like for you're, you and you're more spiritual than a lot like most other people that i know and that's what i'm gonna say like for you i'm more logical and then when i talk to like everyone else i'm like yeah astral projection and i'm like this and they're like casey that's make-believe i'm like honey it's not <laughs> yeah. because there is some science uh -huh. there but like i i i 
physically, mentally would love to believe in things, but like I need that science to be there. Even if it's like a particle of that science, I'm like, it's not there. I can't believe in it just yet until that's something's proven real. Mm-hmm. But so that's back to Somni. Somni. Um, she, I feel like what we were just explaining is so much her. She was very like nothing. I I don't have to question anything. I don't have to see anything is different because this is what I'm told. Mm-hmm. So when she finally got to think for herself, watching her flourish from thinking for herself was like amazing. Yeah. How she was obtaining all that information back, like the it was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, her lover showed her all that knowledge, and he also showed her the full Timothy Cavendish film. Like they watched the whole movie together. True. Yeah. Another connection. Yeah. And he pretty much saved her from the, like, one government and got her to be able to broadcast her message to humanity. Which stuck forever. Yeah, her message to humanity changed the course of humanity forever, and he sacrificed himself so that she could get her message out there. I want to skip ahead just so I can skip back again Mm -hmm. because I want to talk about devil devil's door so the last timeline blew my mind I had like that was like the one timeline that I wrote the most about because another pattern throughout the movie is that you see like from the get-go the beginning of the first timeline the people getting rich kind of stayed rich and got richer and richer richer and the poor kind of stayed plateaued or got poorer so it was almost to me like the poor de-evolved a new language came. They we kind of resorted back to yeah. like cavemen time periods. Yeah, periods. like primal. Yeah. Uh-huh. And instead of all of us evolving, the rich kind of like became the cannibals, and then the intelligent and rich, their asses went to another fucking planet. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, okay, so the poor de-evolved. So they lived in these like very primal states, like Brad just said. They hunt, hunted for their food. Their whole their whole language changed. Completely. Yeah, it went way back to primal tendencies. And it was sometimes it's hard for me to I know. comprehend what they were saying. I really couldn't understand what they were saying or talking about a lot of the time. Because they like would just say, oh, the true, true. Uh-huh. And I, I, I still don't understand what that completely meant. Yeah. I mean, I think they were just talking about the truth. But even like in weird circumstances, yeah. they're like, oh, the true, true. Um, yeah. And another thing about mental illness is, remember Tom Hanks' character, how he kept seeing that green man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was almost like a Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. His name in the film is called Old Georgie, I think. And guess who did him? Hugo Weaving. Yes. He haunted him. And I feel like that's... His on... subconscious. I feel like it's a subconscious, but I kind of feel like he might be slightly schizophrenic. Because he's like... He doesn't want to listen to it, but he's like, do this. Yeah. Leave him. Kill him. And he's like, listen to him. Or they might have resorted back to such a primal state. That they don't even understand what their subconscious is. Yeah. So that was like, I didn't understand what that was trying to, if it was depicting mental illness or how far back they went. My understanding of it was that old Georgie was kind of like the subconscious, like the paranoid subconscious, like survival mind, like your mind that is just trying to survive. So like you just take everything as like, you know, you're very paranoid, like you just want to survive or whatever. Everything's an enemy. And also, I think that was just a culmination of his, Tom Hanks' character's karma. In the first couple of timelines, he wasn't the greatest person. 
So I think through that guy off the fucking roof. Yeah. So I think that that karma kind of followed him and haunted him because the time when Tom Hanks character changed from a bad person to a good person was in Louisa Ray's timeline when he was thinking about his ex-girlfriend and and then he said, you know, she always talks about past lives and I never believed in it. But when I saw you, that's kind of when it clicked in his head. And he was like that. I think that was like the turning point for his characters to reverse the bad karma but the bad karma just still followed him into the last timeline as his subconscious yeah because even there was a part where his subconscious like his friend was dying by the cannibals which the leader of the cannibal was also Hugh Weaving and his subconscious he's Rumpelstiltskin I'm gonna just say so Rumpelstiltskin in his time because if you guys know who Rumpelstiltskin is, it's literally Rumpelstiltskin. I don't know. I'll show you him. He's in. Okay. He's in like all, he's in like Pinocchio, like all the old fairy tales of okay. like Disney and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, his friend is dying from one of the cannibals, and he just his subconscious is like leave him, leave him, leave him to rot. He's very like scary. Like I did yeah. not like that his subconscious whatsoever. Same. So he left him to die. Okay, so I think his karma also still shows and is still prominent there when um, his subconscious is telling him to leave his friend and just, like, let him die. Basically, that showed me that he was a coward at that point. But I feel like he changed that path. When he helped out Halle Berry's character when she was slipping from the rocks. Her name in this timeline is Maronim. Maronim? Yeah, he definitely went from... uh, coward watching his friend and his son get murdered and then when he was in that situation did you notice that he was in the same exact spot that his friend and the kid got murdered yep when he was about to get murdered and Marinim stood up from behind that same rock that he was hiding behind and saved him and I feel like that was okay so there's a scene where so they want to get to this place called the devil's door and she is one of the higher powers. I, I don't know what to call them because, like, to me, they seem, like, alien-esque, but they're not. I think they're, I mean, they're just, like, they're humans human, but I feel like they kept, evolved to more extent. Yeah. Like, the things in their heads. Yeah, they kept the technology. Like, they were part of the of humanity that escaped the planet and kept the technology, whereas Tom Hanks, Zachary's tribe got left behind and kind of reverted back to primal like ideologies so they don't really talk about how often um Halle Berry's character and like their tribe quote-unquote comes in but like when their plane comes in they get very excited I feel like they always come bearing gifts or something that they have a close relationship with them so she wants to get a way to get to the devil's door but they all call the devil's door and I feel like this is another way of just growing up on not asking questions. Yeah, because they were afraid of it. And the reason why they're afraid of it is because they didn't, they were just afraid of it because it was unknown. It, it held the truth. Yeah. And it's another way that they just grew up like, like keeping the truth behind them. Yeah. So she asked, like, who can take me to the devil door? And then Tom Hanks' character, Zachary, his daughter gets injected with the poison of something i think it was his niece oh his niece yeah his niece gets injected with the poison of some type of fish you know i think honestly i didn't know what it was until afterwards but i think what she had in her knee or i mean her foot was radiation poisoning oh okay that's what it said like when i was researching it after where would she get that from see i don't know i don't know see i took it as it was some type of poisonous fish while she was fishing okay because they were like a uh a 
a word he used sounded like an animal name to me. Yeah. But then again, like we were saying, their language is... is it's hard to understand. It, yeah, it's like a made-up language. Yeah. He's like, I need help with her, and I will help you. Even though he's terrified of the devil's door, everyone is afraid of this devil's door, and we don't really know why until they kind of get there. So he's like, you help me, I help you kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So she helps him. The niece makes full recovery, and they go to Devil's Door. The whole time they're on their way to Devil's Door, he has his subconscious, like... So, then there's one scene where she's climbing up the rocks, and he's holding a rope. And this scene was hard to watch, because, like, that's just, like... Mm-hmm. So, the rope gets loose, and you guys... I don't know if you watch any show or movie where, like, a, someone's holding a rope, and it slips, and it just cuts your yeah. hands the fuck like up. Rope like, rope burn. Yeah, like, crazy. Yeah. So the subconscious like, let her go, let her go, and he decides not to, and I you feel like... You see the blood pouring from his hands. And I feel like that was the main turning point for his character. So, you see in this time period that there's little statues of Somni hidden everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they, like, worship her. And you don't really understand why. So they get to the devil's door, they go in, and there's a huge statue of Somni. And he's like, oh my god, like, that's her. And then he he's not understanding. His subconscious is like, kill her, kill her. She's going to show you things that aren't true. Kill her. And he's like, for a minute, I thought he was honestly going to kill her. Me too. And then, so then he's like, I need the true true. Like, what is happening? And he shows her recording of Somni. And he's like, no. like, And he's bas- she's basically telling him everything, like, all you've ever known is a complete lie. And he's like, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. And his subconscious is like, kill her. She's feeling with you lies. This isn't true, true. Kill her. And then he realizes, like, I'm going to take this information in. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, blew my mind. Because, like, your whole life, it's basically, I don't want to knock anyone's religion, to, like, at all. Like, you believe in what you believe. But it's basically how everyone grows up thinking that you can't say a certain thing or do a certain thing because Jesus Christ is watching you or God is watching you and you will get reprimanded for that. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same thing. It's painful for him to hear this because his whole life he went having this one idea in his head. Yeah, it's like he he's so fearful of, like, I guess he they kind of worshipped Somni as, like, a god. Completely, and he yeah. was, like, fearful of betraying the god or going to the other side. But when he just, like, when old Georgie was trying to get him to kill Marinim, and he, instead of killing her, just let her show him the truth. He realized that he wasn't betraying his God. He was being shown the truth that was just, like, mind-blowing for him. And that was amazing. I feel like that kind of took him out of that primitive state and, like, up-notch him more. Because, like, I feel like he was like, wow. And he, like, got that second to reflect. And, like, the hard part is, is like, when he was in there, he just sees all these dead bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why they call it a devil's door, because they don't know. Yeah. Someone might have ventured up there and was like, there's dead bodies. Yeah. You'll die if you go there. Mm-hmm. But really, those people were fighting for the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. I don't know if you guys remember when I when I wrote when I wrote this down from the first timeline, willing to kill for riches, and then she was willing to die for the truth. Yeah. So there... It, that's how double karma comes into play. What are you willing to die for? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to die for money? Or are you willing to die for the truth to free other people? Yeah. Because she did not care about dying. Mm-hmm. She was like, and it just blows my mind. Like her character growth is like amazing. Cause yeah. like I said before, she started out so naive and then here she is that people are worshiping, worshiping thousands of years later for just speaking up about the truth. Mm-hmm. And she didn't care. There was one scene 
in the timeline where the guy asked her, like, well, you were willing to die for this guy? And she's like, I wasn't willing to die for him. I was willing to die to get the truth out. Yeah. And then he's like, well, what if no one believes you? And she looks at him, and you could tell in his face that he's like, holy shit, like, what have I been doing? He's like, she's like, I can already tell. I have one believer already. Mm-hmm. And he just, like, leaned back in his chair and, like, reflected on that whole conversation knowing that she was completely right. Yeah. Because it only takes one. Yep. Yeah, she planted the seed for the revolution. Completely. Um, one thing about the last timeline that I did not pick up on during the movie, and I only found out about this after doing research, but I want to see if you picked up on it, was when he had that dream that was flashes of the previous timelines, he went to the shaman of the village and was talking to her about it, and she did a ritual or whatever, and her eyes rolled in the back of her head, and she said some words that was a prophecy and the things that she said came true the first one was bridge broken hide below and that's when zachary and marinin were on the bridge zachary heard the horses coming of the kona tribe Mm -hmm. and they hid below the bridge so he followed the prophecy during that and saved her saved both of them and the second thing she said was bloody hands don't let go and that's when she was oh, on the, the rope, rope and his hands were bloody and old Georgie was telling him to let go, but he didn't let go because I think he remembered what the shaman said. And then the third thing she said was, enemy sleeping, don't slit throat. But when he saw the Kona tribe chief sleeping after his village got ransacked, yeah, ransacked and all of his family was murdered, it, he saw the chief sleeping, and the prophecy said don't slit throat, but he did slit the chief's throat, and that it made uh, for a very dangerous situation which he was trying to save his other niece, and he almost got killed by the Kona village, and that's what started the fight between the Kona people and him, and then Marinim saved him. Um, no, I didn't remember that, but I remember watching, and see, this is what I took from it. I noticed how he woke him up. And then slit his throat. Mm-hmm. So I thought he was like, oh, I can't do it while he's sleeping because that would make me a coward. So he woke him up and then slit his throat. Okay, maybe maybe that is why. I don't know. Yeah, because she said something like, if he's Enemy sleeping, sleeping, don't slit throat. So then he woke him up okay. and then slit his throat. Gotcha. So either one theory could be completely right. Definitely. And then after him, Zachary and Marinim escaped, they ended up falling in love. And then the last scene is him telling all of their grandkids their grand story mm-hmm. and then they kiss and say good night or whatever <laughs> that's just the end of the story but you see on the back of zachary's head the comet birthmark which you didn't see the whole time uh-huh. so i was like I, the whole time i was thinking like where the fuck is this birthmark that you yeah. didn't see because he had hair yeah so i thought that was awesome that was like a perfect ending so i wrote down some quotes from somni so a very simple one is death is just a door when one closes another one opens and it's like such an easy quote that we all hear today and it's like oh when one door opens another one closes but that just made so much sense because like our souls just fucking spread out again like yeah okay so we die then our souls are like rejuvenated and pushed back out Mm -hmm. so another quote from somni is our life is not our own from womb to tomb. We are connected to everyone and, ev- and others. So that like, blew my mind too. Because mm-hmm. like, I think what she was trying to say there is like, okay, so when we were born, instantly our life is kind of made up for us. Mm-hmm. We get numbers. Like our social security numbers are literally numbers that are printed out. Yeah. And we're like, here you go. Here's your barcode. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So from the, from the get-go of being born, 
there's like a point in time in your life where you get to make up your own reality. Yeah. And that's it. So that's what basically what she's saying is from womb to tomb, your life is not yours. But make it yours. Yeah. And how we're all connected in that kind of way. Yeah, like you're born into whatever structure you're born into and you could just follow that structure or you could break out of it and make a statement for this whatever this universe is it's like the the course of humanity or the course of our species it's like the saying like you're a product of your environment until you make yourself not a product of that environment yeah exactly very well said yeah i'm a fucking poet or some shit you're a poet and you didn't even know it (laughs) snaps (laughs) another thing is i want to know about this fucking so it's it's a necklace in some scene it's a button in others yes I did not understand this throughout the whole movie because in the beginning you can see that Dr. Goose sees the buttons on the vest of Adams and it's like a gem, but he's like fascinated by it and he's like looking at it and you don't realize what it is. And then the next time I noticed it, um, I forget the next time I noticed it, but I noticed it again and I was like, oh, there it is again. And then it was never said, nobody ever said anything about it. No, and it was shown a lot. Like, one time it was, like, when it was the button, it was one singular button that was like that. And then it was just a tiny necklace that was like that. And then it was an earring. And then it was, like, a cuff link. And it was this tiny gemstone, this tiny, like, blue. It reminds me of, like, a blue-dyed granite. Mm-hmm. And, it, but it obviously. Or like, a labradorite. Yeah, like a labradorite. But it obviously means something that they had to keep showing it. But yeah. I did not pick up on that whatsoever. I, yeah, I wish that they would have explained it more. Like, probably in the book it's more explained or something, but I guess it was just, like, the same thing as the birthmark is that it just follows through each timeline, but I don't know. I think that covers all the timelines. The main takeaway that I took away from this movie was pretty much that our lifetimes, like, first of all, don't be afraid of death because your soul will transcend and continue on to live another life. And also that love transcends these bodies and these lifetimes and love is the only exception to the rule of life and death. Like love will transcend no matter what. And that kind of goes to, I don't know if you ever saw Interstellar. Not yet. Okay, we have to do that on this podcast. Because the first, well, I only saw Interstellar one time all the way through. And after I was blown away because I was like, oh my God, like it's just, it makes so much sense. Like love, the same type of theme with that movie is Love transcends this lifetime. It transcends all space and time, everything. And I just thought it's such a beautiful message. It is a beautiful message. And as a Pisces, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Hopeless, romantic, sensitive, <laughs> you know. What would you rate this movie on of 1 to 10? I was waiting for this question, and I feel like there's a lot of factors that go into my rating. So personally, for my taste in movies i would give it a 10 mm-hmm. 5 10 whatever but i feel like if you're not someone that kind of watches a movie for a deeper meaning yeah like if you're just watching it for entertainment it might not entertain I you i would say like a two yeah because you really have to watch it at least more than once because you will not grasp it the first time you watch it and it, it will come off confusing like because i talk to a few people and i'm like oh have you watched this movie they're like i tried and honestly i thought the movie sucked I feel like those type of people are kind of more closed-minded in a way because they don't they don't reach for what is more. Mm-hmm. So this whole movie, there's so much inspiration and everything like that that ties to it that like if you're not looking for that, I know a lot of people that just watch it to basically just fill their mind with at ease. Like you, mm-hmm. you get done work, you just want to watch something stupid to calm you down. 
not the movie for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you're constantly searching for a deeper meaning, 10 out of 10, recommend. Yeah. I would probably give this movie like a 9, I would say like an 8 or a 9 out of 10. Because I thought it was extremely well, I mean, I'm a very harsh critic. I do not give everything a 10 out of 10. But this movie was really amazing and I really appreciated all of the themes and everything. And I love a movie with a deeper meaning and I love to watch a movie more than one time to have to figure it out. But one thing that I just thought of that when you were talking that I did not think of until right now and I did not hear anybody speak on this was I feel like each timeline, maybe not every single one, but I feel like a lot of them kind of had a different genre to it because I feel like the Timothy Cavendish timeline was kind of comedic and had like a comedy type sense feel to it and then the louisa ray timeline kind of had like a mystery thriller type you have to figure out that you know what i mean like it was kind of like a mystery timeline and like the there was like a dramatic timeline of adam ewing timeline so i feel like yeah i feel like that was more of like the romantic and then the timeline before that was like historic like it was treasure hunting Uh life life on the boat like slavery it was like all that history aspect of it yeah like there was like a period piece there's two like pretty much like a period piece there was a comedy piece a mystery piece a sci-fi piece you know what i mean like just each one had like such a different like each one could have been a movie in of itself with a completely different genre maybe that was like the writer's Maybe he wanted to reach out to a broader fan base or yeah. however you want to say it. So like, maybe this movie has a movie in it for everybody. Yeah, so maybe he wanted you to be able to relate at this point, this point, this point, and this point. There are seven points of the movie that you could have related to. Because mm-hmm. I know you related more to the end. The yeah, last like the, la- the last two were my favorite because I love sci-fi and like future stuff. And, and I stuff. loved the first two. Yeah. But then I related more to the 2012, and that's obviously probably because we're from the 2000s. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this makes sense. But anything I watch is always history-based. Uh-huh. And everything you watch is always, like, Future sci-fi. sci-fi. Yeah. 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 So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, this movie was so good, and I highly recommend it to anybody. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably already watched it, because if not, you just got every spoiler that there was in the book. Yeah, I don't rec- <laughs> recommend watching it if you did not watch the movie yet. <laughs> hey, maybe you're not a movie watcher, and you just want to hear people rant about a random movie. True. So, yeah. That's good for you, too. Hope you enjoyed us covering this movie. I hope you did. This is our second one. I think we did pretty good. Casey, I have a question. I have an answer. Did you have a... Um, any situation this week that could have been a movie scene in your life? Uh, this week's been a pretty boring week. Maybe even just brunch. How we just started drinking at fucking 11 o'clock in the morning and didn't end until 8 o'clock. Like, that's not realistic, but I w- we did it. I would agree with you on that because I was trying to think this morning, like, what was a movie scene that happened in my life this past week? And I was like, bitch, I can't think of fucking one. This shit's been boring. But, yeah, so on Sunday... An 80s brunch is pretty, like, movie-esque. Yeah, Sunday, Casey and I, we had an 80s brunch. And there was a bunch of food. And we all dressed up, like, 80s style. And we started drinking at, what, 11? Yep. Yeah, 11. And we didn't stop till 8 p.m. And we've just been going over... <laughs> since we got together today the things that we remembered and put in the pieces back together because we didn't realize how drunk we got but it was really fun it was really fun <laughs> so that was our our breakfast club movie brunch it was like a scene from the breakfast club or something because it was the 80s you know 
I got it. I pick, I'm picking up what you're... I'm all in the sauce, and I know the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> so, for next week, do you want to do Messenger Joan of Arc? I would love to. I think that you're going to love that movie. I really do. I watched this movie at least three times. See, and I'm excited for it to be that, because, like, all these movies I've watched multiple times. Yeah. So, this is going to be my first time watching a movie, not knowing what to take from it. Yeah, because the past two ones that we've done, I didn't see until I've we... watched them all at least. Like, I'm, like, a definitely the type of person that, like... If I like a movie, I find comfort in it, so I'll rewatch it. Because, like, the unknown is just terrifying. So I'm like, fuck, what is going to happen at the end? Yeah. So, like, I keep rewatching. So it'll be fun to watch a movie and get, like, a fresh take from it when, like, you know about it and I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that you're really going to like Joan of Arc. So if you guys haven't seen Messenger Joan of Arc, definitely watch it. I think that you can find it for free on Crackle. That's where I watched it. But I highly recommend it. It's really good, and I'm so excited to cover it because... You know, my girl Mila Jovovich is the star of it. I love her. <laughs> She's my crush. <laughs> Again, Beret is a lesbian one. Yes, and I fall in love with every strong female lead character of any type of film, like Alien or Joan of Arc or Re- Resident Evil. I'm obsessed, so definitely give it a watch so you can follow along with us next week. And again, if anyone's listening, you can email us and send us any movie recommendations and we'll gladly watch them and tell you what we think. Mm -hmm. Our email is filmfairiespodcast at gmail.com and it's fairies, F-A-E, not F-A-I, because, you know, we're like the OG fairies. And you know what's funny, what I learned about that? What? Um, So fairies spelled the other way, the like cliche way, is they're good spirits. Fairies spelled the fey way. Mm -hmm. Um they're more like mischievous and Ooh, I like that. kind of fairies. Ooh, I'm glad that you looked that up because yeah. I didn't. I like that. Well, because someone told me I spelled it wrong. I said, <clears throat> no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just picked that way because, I don't know, it was more. Like I like the way it flows. I like yeah. it looks better. It stood out to me more. It, it seemed more mature. Yeah, we are mature. Yeah. We're 23 years old. So don't think that we're like little 17-year-olds like taking shots of Tito's over here. Like we're... <laughs> We're almost experienced. Yeah, we're 23-year-old film reviewers taking shots of Tito's over here, okay? <laughs> I'll be 24 in March, so if anyone wants to give me, like, a happy birthday, March 14th. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next week. Peace out.